0: Ave Maria Press has been publishing Catholic books and resources for more than 150 years, and they are located right on the north side of the Notre Dame campus. Visit their website, avemariapress.com, for a wide selection of Catholic books, podcasts, videos, and free downloadable content. Receive 25% off your next order with code REDEEMER.
1: Church Life Today is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. Meg Hunter-Kilmer has no time for bland, stale stories of saints. She is too busy reveling in the wild and diverse beauty of holy people. When their stories have not been told well, she seeks after the heart of their story and waits to see the drama, the glory, The full-fledged humanity that others have missed. And then she tells their stories. Meg tells the stories of the saints with passion, with care, with personality, with joy. Friends, I have read a lot of books about sanctity. I have read a lot of stories about saints. I have read a lot of books of stories about saints. But the book that Meg Hunter Kilmer wrote stands apart. It is an education in true holiness which depends on a willingness to see and accept the whole human condition. Her stories of saints are filled with piety and grace, but also with the afflictions, failures, abuses, and unrespectability of these very flesh and blood people who received and responded to the love of God in Christ. The book is pray for us, 75 saints who sinned, suffered, and struggled on their way to holiness. The author, Meg Hunter-Kilmer, joins me today in the studio from her travels around the country where she speaks and teaches everywhere as a full-time missionary evangelist. Believe me, you're in for a treat in listening to her. As for me, I'm Leonard DiLorenzo this is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Meg, welcome to the show.
0: Lenny, I am so excited to be chatting with you.
1: Meg, I wanted to start our conversation by reading a line from the introduction to your book that I think captures what your book as a whole seeks to reveal to us. So here's the line I'm going to just quote you back to you. Ready? <laughs> so you say, There are no circumstances or characteristics that make holiness unattainable. Which means every one of us is called to run after Jesus, however often we stumble. I found that this is a book that's just as much about stumbling as it is about holiness. You present to us 75 saints whose lives and witnesses are not idealized, but real and messy and very human. So I want to ask you, what attracted you to writing about how saints sinned, suffered, and struggled on their way to holiness? Why this approach?
0: You know, I love— Jesus. I, I love Jesus so much, and all I want in life is to help other people love him. And I have found time after time after time in my life as a missionary, people come to me and we're talking about their lives, about their experience, and there is something in their lives that they feel makes them ineligible for the love of God. There's some addiction, there's some persistent sin, there's some trauma, there's some family circumstance. Honestly, it could be something like they really love watching football, you know, something that's not disordered. <laughs> yeah. But they think, this part of me, God doesn't want. Mm. God, God sneers at this. God is ashamed of this in me. And I, I would tell people over and over again, no, Jesus loves you exactly as you are. No, that isn't an obstacle to holiness for you. But they needed something concrete. Mm. They needed something tangible. And when I first realized that the saints could provide that, it was just, it was a revelation. You know, I I grew up Catholic, but I had a sort of a real conversion when I was 13. And I went through and I double-checked everything the church believed. <laughs> and I was like, Meg Hunter Kilmer, seal of approval. Like <laughs> check mark to papal infallibility, check mark to the real presence. And I got to the saints and I was like, don't get it, don't see the point, but it's not blasphemy. So like, you know, kind of a, a half, a half seal a of approval there. Like exactly. Yeah. And this was the first time that I was like, oh, that's the point right? It's not that we need intercessors. It's that we need to see what it looks like to be holy in our circumstances, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, because Jesus didn't have a terrible temper, but St. Paul did. And so when I'm experiencing <laughs> unnecessary rage, I can look to Paul and I can look to Jerome and I can look to these saints and say, this is what holiness looks like in these circumstances, yeah. right? My sister recently lost a baby. And, you know, obviously she knows that Jesus is with her in that suffering, but to look at blessed Conchita, whose toddler drowned on their property, right? To look at St. Magdalena son, Sobiac, who lost nine infants in a row and to say, okay, this is what it looks like to trust that God is with me in this horrific suffering that I never could have imagined before. Mm. And to see the hope that it gives people, to tell them about St. Mark Tianxiang, who was an opium addict for 30 years and died an opium addict, who hadn't received sacraments for three decades and is a canonized saint. And to see the light in people's eyes, the hope that it gives them for themselves in their addictions, For their mental illness, for their friends, you know, the people that they love who are dealing with addiction and to say, oh, my goodness, God can be glorified in these circumstances, too. There's just there's such a beautiful way that the saints draw people into the heart of Jesus because they point out the lies that the devil tells us as lies. They name that conviction that we're ineligible for God's love as a lie, and it leaves us face to face with the sacred heart of Jesus who looks at us and says, I have always been here loving you, but you just maybe needed to hold somebody's hand to get here.
1: Mm. That is powerfully put. You know, when you use this example of Jesus didn't have the temper that Paul did, Paul had it, right? Oh, yeah, he did. So it may sound to some like, well— Christ is missing something, mm, and the saints have mm. it, and we have to find it, therefore, in the saints, not in Christ. But the other way you're speaking about this towards the end is you're saying, you know, the saints connect us to Christ. Like, they bring us towards the love of Christ. So, I mean, this is maybe a, a little bit of a theological point here, but can you help us think about this? Like, it isn't missing from Christ, what we find in the saints. It's that through the saints, our humanity is included in right.
0: Christ. Well, I think it's, you know, it's that like us in all things but sin, ah, right? That yeah. Jesus is like me in In my passion, and he's Mm. like me in my need for rest. And he is like me in my desires to connect with people, all of these things. But he's not like me in my rage, right? (laughs) Like he's not. Um, And that's a good thing, right? Because we know in the the perfection of his divinity and the perfection of his humanity that this was not an inclination that he had. But it can feel like the holiness of Christ is unattainable Mm. because he didn't have concupiscence, right? And because he didn't have all the same life circumstances that we have. You know, I talk to people who say, I get that Jesus suffered horrifically. I get that. But he didn't endure sexual abuse. And I don't know how to look to him as a model of suffering in this particularly egregious suffering that I've experienced, because it is distinct from his. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say, you know, to weep with people and to love them in that brokenness and to say, you're right, that that particular circumstance is not a thing that Jesus experienced. We can look to this saint who did who can point us then to how our suffering is still a participation in the suffering of Jesus yeah. right so it's that sort of intermediate step of always drawing us deeper into the heart of Jesus mm-hmm. you look at saint zélie martin who wasn't able to breastfeed her children that's not a suffering that Jesus had right certainly
1: not exactly yes.
0: but when we when we turn to her and when we unite our sufferings to hers and she helps us unite them to Christ, then we're able to look to Jesus and say, but he did have the experience of wanting to feed his beloved and being unable because they refused, Mm. right? He did have that sense of limitation. But sometimes I think we just need somebody who has been exactly where we are and they can draw us back to Jesus where we can say, well, he didn't experience it exactly, but he does know what I'm going through, right? He's there with me in this.
1: Yeah. When you're speaking about the devil who lies to us and tells us of our ineligibility for the grace of Christ, that we're unworthy of the gift we receive, in some ways there's some truth in that. We're unworthy of it, and yet we're given it, right? This is the final attack of the devil in the book of Revelation. The tempter has now become the accuser of the saints. He accuses them of their sins. I mean, it's so evident in what you've written here in this book and what you do in your ministry that you've become, you are a gifted storyteller, and The stories that you over and over again seek to tell are the stories of the saints. So I'm wondering, I mean, maybe this is a reflection on your own imagination and memory or of the imagination and memory of others as they take in these stories. What do you think that does for us in our imaginations, in our memories— to take in the stories of the saints and to be able to tell them ourselves? Mm. How do you think it changes us?
0: You know, it's interesting because I think storytelling is really at the heart of what it is to be a human being. And we've mm-hmm. lost a sense of storytelling in our culture and particularly in our church in recent centuries, perhaps, where the way that we talk about the saints is is very bland and it's just sort of a list of facts. Uh, it doesn't capture the imagination. And I think one thing that's really compelling about telling the stories of the saints is that it's just a very, very easy entry point for people who don't necessarily want to hear about Jesus, but they do want to hear about a war nurse, jungle surgeon, evangelist nun. <laughs> you know? Like they're they're down for that. A
1: war nurse, jungle surgeon, evangelist nun. Yes. Got it. Okay. Blessed
0: Maria Troncati. <laughs> She's amazing. Go. And so often for me, it's it's just telling people a story because I'm like, Look, you want to hear a story. This is a great story. Everybody wants to hear a good story, right? right? But I'm going to tell you about the love of Jesus while I'm telling you that story. So it's beautiful for evangelization. But I think also we just retain stories Mm. in a way that we don't retain facts and dogma, right? Like there's something in the human experience where— We want to encounter people and story helps us encounter people. And so I've had any number of people who'll come up to me years later and say, you know, you told me this one story and they'll start listing little snippets of it and I'll figure out who it is that they're talking about, right? Sometimes I'm like, oh, that's not exactly it. But they remember the heart of the story. And the heart of the story is always an invitation to be loved by God because Mm. that's the whole point of the saints, and I think it's when we tell their stories well, when they are about Jesus. Because often, if we do, if we do engage in captivating storytelling with the saints, we don't necessarily make it about Jesus, right? right? It's still just like, here's a cool thing that happened to this person, right. and I can be guilty of that too with right. some of these really dramatic ones. That in the end, I'm just like, and isn't it cool that she was a war nurse, jungle surgeon, evangelist nun? And I'm like, right, but <laughs> the point is that she was loved beyond imagining by a Mm. God who died to know her and that her life calls us into that same unceasing, fierce, and tender love. And I think when we tell the stories of the saints with an eye to the Paschal mystery, with an eye to the salvation of souls, it invites people into the reality of God's love in a way that almost nothing else does. Mm.
1: This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm talking with Meg Hunter Kilmer, full time traveling Catholic evangelist who speaks all over the country, all throughout the year. We're discussing her newest book, Pray for Us 75 Saints Who Sinned, Suffered, and Struggled on Their Way to Holiness. Meg, in your focus on the particularities and peculiarities of the saints and the way in which they claim that as their path to holiness, there was something here that seemed to me it almost resonates, almost, with what our contemporary culture puts forward as important for identity, which is that we claim or make our own identity, right? Like it's so particularized and it's my own. Now I say it's almost that because as there is something I think that rhymes with that here, there's also something totally different. And you've said it a few times, which is that these saints— claimed their identities as they sought Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that seems like maybe from a distance, somebody's just saying, well, that's your own thing. That's the way in which you claimed it. It's just your particularity. But it strikes me that makes all the difference. Like It is the claiming of yourself, your peculiarities and particularities in response to the call of Christ and in pursuit of the love of Christ, responding to that call. What is the difference that seeking Jesus makes for how alive in particular these saints become?
0: Ooh, I feel like, yeah, it's it's that distinction between who you are at the heart and who you have become because of your circumstances and because of your struggles and because of the fall, right? And so I think for me, for years and years and years, you know, I'm, I'm naturally a very angry person. It's come up several times already just in this conversation. Um, I, I get angry really yeah. easily over just the smallest things. And mm. so for years, I was like, no, this is not who I am. I am set free from this in Jesus. And I'm, and I'm trying to push past the anger. I'm trying to push past the anger. And then 2018 hits, the McCarrick Report, the Pennsylvania Grand Jury. And I was angry. Yeah, And that was right. It was the right thing for me to be angry right then. I needed to be angry, but also the church needed me to be angry and loud about it. Mm. And so I was going on social media and I'm standing here as a person who loves Jesus wildly, who has given her life over to the church, who would lay down her life in a heartbeat for the institutional church as the body of Christ, loudly angry Mm. about this. And I could see the healing that the Lord was bringing in people's hearts when they saw it is possible to be very angry and to love the church at the same time, that the right response to sin is anger, that the way that we love the church is to fight the evil that we see within the church. And it was just, I mean, you know, I could see what the work the Lord was doing, but also it was just so healing to me to say, yes, there is a distortion in the ways that I am angry, but God gave me this inclination to anger so that I could fight against evil and injustice. Hmm. This is not a distortion of who I am. Like the way that it often manifests is something that I need grace to purify, but it's a good thing that I get angry. And that was really healing to me. And to recognize that that's true of everybody, right? That when we seek our identity in Christ, we're able to say, you know what? This part of my reaction is something that I need the Lord to heal and purify. And this part is really something that God did on purpose because mm. he can bring good through this.
1: That's really yes. I love that distinction there. In in some ways just to hear that is healing mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. and maybe for others, right? To think that what I would tend to want to do almost without thinking about it by impulse is to take the whole thing the whole set of operations within myself and say that thing needs to be excised. Like you got to cut that whole thing out, Mm -hmm. tone that down. But what you're saying is there's more of a discernment in that. There's a purification, a redemption of that passion, whatever it might be. You're you're saying what it is for you, what it is for others, what the passion is, and it finds its way as an address to God to make its way back to the one who created it. That mm-hmm. there's all kinds of ways in which that goes awry, and we have to learn how to discipline that. So is there, in, as you were working on this and learning about the lives of the saints, how do you see kind of the development or the growth in virtue that happens in their lives? Because we talk about the grace of Christ, and it might seem to some like the grace comes so that they don't have to work, so that you don't grow in virtue. But what did you see in terms of the strengthening of virtue and the cooperation mm-hmm. of grace?
0: You know, I was praying about this this weekend. I was doing a women's conference and the theme was consider the wildflowers. They neither spin nor toil. And I was thinking about the distinction between toil and work, hmm. right? Like Adam was always going to have to work in the garden. The oranges weren't just going to peel themselves and <laughs> fling their, their sections into his mouth, it right? There be, was always— the very creepy, like, <laughs> utopia
1: become dystopia. Right, yes, exactly.
0: Right. He was always going to have to work but it wasn't going to be toil yeah. right? because work is in cooperation with nature. Work is according to who we are and who we've been made to be. Whereas toil is fighting in opposition to nature. And we see that through the fall because we no longer are in right relationship with God or with creation. Mm. And so work becomes toil because it's just harder than it has to be. Right. And I think it's the same thing in the growth in holiness. Yep. That while we're seeking holiness, it should be work because it's, us growing into who we were made to be, but not toil because we're cutting off elements of ourselves and we're trying to shove ourselves into boxes where we don't fit. And you can see that in the lives of some of the saints who really had tried to force themselves into an image of holiness. I think of Blessed Catherine Girige, who was an 18th, 19th century French woman, and she was loud and wild and mischievous as a child. And then she thought, that's not what holiness looks like. Mm. And so she tried to be very sweet and meek and placid and then the French Revolution broke out. <laughs> and she was like, well, the church doesn't need sweet, meek, and placid right now. The, the church needs troublemakers. Yeah. And so she runs like a, an underground railroad for priests, and she does it through improv, like pretending to be drunk in the middle of the street to distract the revolutionaries. And I mean, she's just this this wild character. I love character. that story.
1: I read Yeah, she, I read She's amazing. She's great. amazing.
0: But it's such a reminder mm. that holiness comes in being who we are, mm. right? And that being who you are is a lot of work, mm-hmm. right? Because the world, the flesh, and the devil are trying to distort you. Yeah. But it's not, it's not that agonizing toil of trying to become who you are not. Yeah. Right? It's it's the Lord inviting you into the fullness of yourself. And it's gonna be hard, but it's not it's not suffocating yeah. the way that I think the pursuit of holiness can be if you don't have this broad view. I know for me, when I was, you know, when I was in college. I thought holiness just looked sweet mm. and quiet. And Lenny, you know me, right? <laughs> like, and those six weeks when I tried to be sweet and pleasant and gentle six, six and placid, weeks. I mean, I didn't murder anybody in those six weeks, but I promise you there was nothing sweet and gentle going on, right? Like, I i felt suffocated. Yeah. And and I think I, I reached a point where I was like, it was a breaking point either I'm just going to give up and be mediocre Yeah. or I'm going to decide to hate everything about who I am. Mm. And in steps Teresa of Avila with all of her fire and all of her brilliance and all of her sassiness and was like, girl, you don't have to be all of these plaster images of holiness. Like you can be you. And so that's really what I'm trying to do is show people in all of these different circumstances. And some of them are not like horrific trauma, right? Some of right. it's just like, if you want to be a musician and and you look to Blessed Dina Belanger, who was a New York City Conservatory educated concert pianist and composer, and you're like, oh, OK, like I can be I can be myself and that's OK. And, you know, the devil, if he can't convince us to run from Jesus, he's going to convince us that Jesus doesn't want us, mm. right? And and I think when we get to know the saints in their incredible diversity, it's just screaming that he's a liar yeah. because we're like, well, look, if Jesus wanted St. Olga of Kiev, who was a mass murderer, and if Jesus wanted St. Mary of Egypt, who was a nymphomaniac and a rapist, and if Jesus wanted Blessed Bartolo Longo, who was a satanic high priest, like, I just, I'm pretty sure he wants me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he wants me, <laughs>
1: This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm talking with Meg Hunter Kilmer, full-time traveling Catholic evangelist who speaks all over the country, all throughout the year. We're discussing her newest book, Pray for Us: 75 Saints Who Sinned, Suffered, and Struggled on their way to holiness. You do present to us saints who suffered from trauma, though, and suffered from mental illness and suffered from different forms of emotional or psychological or spiritual affliction that Mm -hmm. needed redress, that needed healing. And I think one of the easiest things, we were talking about this a little bit before, but one of the easiest things that's that's maybe most tempting for any of us as readers or maybe as authors to editorialize, to take out, is the hard work of the healing, right? And Mm -hmm. then they found Jesus and everything was okay, right? They suffered from a mental illness, but Jesus was there and it was Mm -hmm. okay. And that skips over something deeply important, which is, Christ in that work of healing, yes. in the the human, really human work of being supported and of, of growth and of further suffering, but further healing and all that stuff. Can you tell us about that? Like, because you really trained your eye there, I thought. That was a really, that's a really important part of what you're bringing forth in this book. It's the whole human experience and not just an editorialized version of it.
0: Right. I think... One of the reasons that I really was reluctant to embrace the saints when I was younger is that it sounded like either she was very holy and became a nun the end or he bathed in his enemy's blood and then he had a conversion and he never (laughs) sinned again. And I was just like, well, I'm not either of those. And the first saint that I feel like ever really resonated with me, I heard Therese told well. Most people Therese hear Therese, who, yeah, yeah, most people hear her told very badly right. is that she was, she was very holy and she never sinned. But I heard Therese as a brat mm. and I was like, oh, okay, like I can do bratty saint who made good, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I really was from the very beginning drawn to this idea of the constant struggle. You know, I, I never had a lot of patience for the sudden conversion that was never any difficulty, right? I needed, I needed the saints who backslid. And I needed the saints who continued to deal with temptation. I love Saint Mary of Egypt, who I, I mentioned earlier as a nymphomaniac and a rapist. This is not a good woman, right? This is not a good woman. And she lived in her sin for 17 years. And then she had this sudden and miraculous conversion, which is great and then spent 17 years struggling with shame mm. and with temptation and the devil would appear to her in the guise of comely young men and that's what i love about the story mm. that it wasn't immediate release because i think sometimes people mean well and they tell these stories about the freedom that jesus can give you from your sin and he absolutely can do that but frequently he doesn't right because we draw closer to him in that struggle in that suffering right like i'm i'm wearing a crucified man around my neck right now. This is not a church that shies away from suffering, but often in the way that we tell the story, we whitewash that part out because we want people to see that it's possible to be set free. And I think that sets people up for failure because they go to confession and they have this beautiful experience and then they sin again. And they're like, well, well, there goes that, you know, like I I thought this was going to be my moment. And when you have saints, who you see continued to struggle venerable Matt Talbot who was a drunk for 13 years and then he got sober and he never had another drink but to the day of his death he didn't carry money on his person because it was does. a temptation mm-hmm. to go into a pub and have a pint he spent i think 40 years sober and he told people till the end of his life he said it is easier for god to raise the dead <laughs> than for him to free a man from the desire to drink wow and to look at someone like that to see this man who never had another drink, but never stopped being an alcoholic to realize that grace doesn't make virtue easy. It just makes it possible, you know, to see that sometimes God really does just take away your mental illness. That is so beautiful, but it is just as beautiful when he sits with you in that suffering. And when he allows you to be the way that other people are able to serve him, and when when he shows you that you are loved, even in that brokenness, I think of Venerable Rutilio Grande, who was buddies with Saint Oscar Romero. He's going to be beatified in January, at which point my book will be out of date. But that's okay because <laughs> we're still you excited. want your book we're to s- go out exactly, all the blessings all to be it. canonized, I want right? Canonized. Everybody move up, it. yeah. But he had mental illness so severe he was multiple times institutionalized mm. with catatonic schizophrenia, right? Like bad stuff. And it was before he was ordained a Jesuit priest Mm. and the Jesuits didn't quit on him. And I, like that to me, I mean, then he goes on to get assassinated because he loves the poor so much. And like his martyrdom is great, but that he trusted that God was with him even when he wasn't released from his mental illness. And that his community accompanied him, didn't reject him, didn't decide that he was too much work. Like, they could have gotten out of that. Yeah. Right? Like, they weren't stuck with him yet. But they stood by him because they knew that his mental illness did not define him and it didn't disqualify him for their love or for the love of God. And so getting to know these saints so that when you're sitting in these moments of extreme grief and in these times of perpetual suffering that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, you can say, but you know what? God is with me in this, Mm. right? Blessed Benedetta Bianchi Poro, who had von Recklingshausen's disease, which robs you of all five of your senses. So she diagnosed herself because the doctors didn't listen to her. And she was a med (coughs) student um, in Italy in the early 20th century, diagnosed herself. She lost her ability to see and hear and taste and smell and touch. And at the end of her life, she could move one hand and feel one spot on her cheek. Oh and my. that's how she communicated with people as yeah. they would sign to her on her cheek. Oh my. And we have her letters where she talks about the darkness. She talks about how it would be easier just to throw herself out of a window. She talks about this misery that she's experiencing. And she says, it is awful. But I know that God is with me. And to have a saint who says, it is awful, I hate this, this is not fair, and is still able to talk about the presence of God in the midst of that darkness brings so much more hope than Jesus snapped his fingers and everything was rainbows and bunnies. You know, we need those saints who can sit with us in our suffering and say this is what it looks like to trust God when you can't feel him.
1: I think about this for— Those of us who are parents, teachers, mentors, especially as we seek to love and often don't quite know how to do it right, to teach, to accompany our young people, our children, our students. And as I'm hearing you, just out of your own memory from what you've taken in and come to love, give us these images of these saints, it's almost startling to me, right? It is startling to me, like, oh my, there too, and there too. And I hear in the things that you're speaking, almost little vignettes of. People I, I kind of know, right? It, I don't, not these saints, I know people who are in situations similar to that mm-hmm. or at a, at a certain level on that spectrum, moving towards that end. Or, and I just think about, like, for somebody like me who's a parent or for people who are teachers or mentors, like, how empowering it would be for us to have this repository of images and stories to be able fluently to share with young people in the particular ways they suffer. Mm -hmm. Because these feelings of abandonment and loneliness and bordering on despair, but not all the way there, that you're bringing up, I think many of us know that we've seen it and we've been fearful of it Mm -hmm. when we look at our young people. Mm -hmm. And we know that when we were younger, we felt something like that too. You're talking to young people all the time, you're moving around. How do you see or how have you witnessed or what do you think about the power, the healing possibilities of these stories?
0: The light in their eyes. When you tell somebody the story of a saint who's had their same experience, I I think particularly I was talking to a South Korean girl who was living in the United States and had had an experience of... Extreme sexual harassment and had reported and had gotten all kinds of backlash because of it, particularly from the people that she was staying with. I mean, it was just this like really, really messy situation. And I sat down with her and I talked to her about St. Columba Kim Hyo Im, who was a South Korean woman who had an experience of sexual abuse and went and stood before the judge and accused her abusers, even though she's like on her way to being martyred. Like she's just been sentenced to death. And she's like, right, fine. We need to have a conversation about what happened to me last night because this is not okay. And actually got the judge to arrest the men who had orchestrated this attack. And I'm telling her this story and she looked at me and she was like, she was from Korea? And I said, yeah. And she was like, She was praying for me. And I was like, honey, this whole time she has been praying for you and she has been rooting for you. And like, she's been up there in heaven fist pumping because she watched you have this awful experience that you shouldn't have had. And she watched your courage in coming forward to report. And just the look on her face, I think, especially because they were, they had the same country of origin for her to know, like, this is not just like, oh, here's somebody who kind of had a similar situation. Like this is your cousin, right? Like this is your big cousin who has been praying for you. And I see it again and again when I tell people these stories when i say okay like here's what you're going through here's somebody else who had the same mental health diagnosis here's somebody else who had the same family situation i i was in a school and i read the story of st martin de porres to these children and i said st martin de porres's parents were never married and this little boy throws his hand in the air and he goes my parents were never married with this big <laughs> smile on his face <laughs> and i was just like what a beautiful moment for this little boy for yeah. whom this has probably been a source of shame
1: his ineligibility exactly That's what he and
0: right now he's like what me too like me and martin we're right there we're in this together yeah you know or a little boy who raised his hand one time and said do you have any saints who didn't have a dad and i was like i do Hmm. i do have a saint who didn't have a dad and i told him the story of blessed francisco de paulo de jesus who was a formerly enslaved woman in brazil and just like the look on his face that like okay you know what? Like people are gonna point fingers at me because of this, and I'm I'm gonna feel alone and I'm gonna feel unloved, but but I'm not alone in this because I have this saint friend who has this same experience of not having a dad. Hmm. It's just and I mean for adults too, but I think children especially just feel so isolated and yeah. they haven't always heard stories that are gonna give them that feeling of belonging. Yeah. And when the saints can do that, when when the place that they find belonging and validation is in the church i mean it just does enormous things for their identification as catholics and for their freedom to let god love them
1: yeah well you've given us this great this book is a great gift to lead us towards to knowing these saints better but you didn't have your book right where where did you go like how did you learn of these saints how did you get to know them
0: So much Googling. Really? Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of Googling. And some of it, you know, I sort of run across St. St. Leopold Mondich is one of my closest friends. And I only met him because I was going to Padua. And I was like, well, there's got to be more than one saint in Padua, right? Right. And and I looked and I'm like, oh, Leopold Mondich. And my friend was like, oh, who's that? And I was like, he was short. And she was like, that's probably not why they canonized him. And I was like, that is the thing that I know about him, right? And then I went to visit because I was in town anyway. And I discovered this man who spent his entire life longing to minister to the Orthodox and mm. to restore unity in the church between the East and West and spent his entire life being told no. Yeah, Spent decades in Italy in the confessional and kept going back to his superiors and saying, this is the work that I am certain God has called me to. And they kept saying, go back to the confessional. A man who spent his entire life with one driving passion and never had it satisfied and mm. died a happy man mm. because he died knowing that he had given his life to Jesus.
1: So he was never able to pursue that desire. Right. He sought permission, was Mm -hmm. told no. So he chose obedience over the passion.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And he wasn't a bitter man. How about that? Like He was able to live in joy when his entire life was one great unsatisfied longing. Wow. And that's like so much what my heart needed in that moment, what my heart continues to need. And it was just because I happened— to stop by his church when yeah. I was in Italy, right? Yeah. A lot of these saints, it's because I'm like, well, there's got to be somebody from Oceania, right? Or there's got to be somebody who we think had autism, you know, looking for specific types of saints and then just reading dozens and dozens of stories until I can finally find the point. <laughs> because <you laughs> Some have to, yeah, Some of yeah. them the the are
1: bad. Some of the stories, the written accounts way that, Just right. the
0: way we tell these stories, right? right? And so digging through and reading again and again, and there's, Any number of saints where I'm like, look, I can give you I can give you sort of a synopsis of his life, but I can't tell you his story because I haven't I haven't figured out the point of him yet. And I can't tell a story unless there's a point, you know, so like I'll summarize this basic sketch of his biography for you, but like I can't love them until I see what it is the Lord is trying to speak to his body through their story, you know? And so uh, some of these saints, I was just like searching and searching and searching and finally I find a thread and then I dig deeper into that and I figure out and and then I can sort of build something around this one moment, this one encounter. You know, like St. Lorenzo Ruiz. I was talking to my friend because, you know, I wrote another book called Saints Around the World. It's a picture book. It's a hundred stories of saints from nearly 70 different countries. And so I had to have the Philippines in there, right? And so I've got Lorenzo Ruiz or Pedro Colon and i'm trying to figure out how to tell this story trying to figure out how to tell this story and finally i looked at my friend in frustration and i was like what am i supposed to say about lorenzo ruiz his life was out of control and then he died and then i was like oh Oh. (laughs) that's (laughs) That's the the story story. that's the story right because how often do we need a saint whose life was out of control and to see a saint who only became a saint because his life was out of control Yeah, yeah you know like if his If he hadn't been falsely accused of murder because he belonged to a racist society Mm -hmm. and then got put on the wrong boat and accidentally sent to Okinawa, no chance the man gets canonized. No chance. But because everything went wrong and it wasn't his fault, he became a saint. And to be able to look to someone like that when everything has gone wrong in your life and it's not your fault and to say, maybe this is the way that God makes me a saint. Right. But again, it's just reading story after story. A lot of Google Translate. I write about a lot of saints who we don't have very much information about in English. And so I've gotten pretty good at searching in Mandarin um, and then hoping that Google Translate is serving me well because I'm basing everything in this book off of my Google Translate.
1: That's right. I want to just ask this here at the end, because based on what you're saying here, you're looking for the holiness. Right. And, but you're not forcing it. Like you have to wait for it to appear to you. Like Mm -hmm. it has to speak to you. Just like if you, if you're confronted by a piece of art, you just don't get, you can keep coming back to the art and hope that the, the art, the piece of art opens itself to you and speaks to you and lets you see what's there. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, as I was reading through your book, there's a couple of things I could say. One is the introduction to each section that you wrote was like a little treatise broken up into parts on the variety of holiness and on its richness it was just i actually think that's that's a great way to read this book is go section intro to section intro and after each intro read one of the stories and then move to the other Mm, section and mm -hmm. then come back and read it Mm -hmm. anyways but the other thing that struck me is like this whole thing felt to me at least in part there are other things going on too like for me it was a training and admiration and here's what I mean. Based on what you were just saying, you're looking for holiness. You're looking for what's the story. What's, what's Christ's story that's being written here? And I feel like so much of the modern world, of my modern life, of most of us, is actually looking for the condemnatory evidence mm-hmm. in the other person, in the other group. Where is the thing where I can see what I want to hate? And how do I build the story on that? Mm. And this work of seeing these saints, the way in which you lead us through it is a a counter training towards admiration Mm -hmm. to find Christ there. So I just want to, I don't know, I just want to give this back to you as like a note of appreciation for reading this. And I don't, I mean, I don't think that's what you set out to do. I'm going to do training and admiration, but I think that's part of the fruit, at least for me was learning how to try to hope more for other people that I see to learn how to admire them.
0: Gosh, I'm really going to have to take that to prayer, Lenny, because I think, you know, because I am a person who is so easily moved to anger, I have spent my life telling myself stories Mm. about other people to try to explain why their behavior is not something that should cause me to condemn them eternally. Right. And so like, like somebody isn't turning left when they ought to be turning left and there's clearly space for them to turn left. And I sit there and I say, probably they have PTSD from a car accident when they were turning left and it's okay. You know, so I like tell myself these stories to try and keep myself from hating people. And I, it's interesting to sort of ponder whether that inclination was something the Lord allowed in me so that I would learn how to, how to seek the holiness and the the beauty in other people's lives when it's a difficult thing to find because he wanted me to be able to do this work with the saints. It's just amazing the way that the Lord, the things that the Lord allows and the ways that the Lord develops our hearts. You know, I'm, I mean, I've always been a storyteller and I never really had any good stories to tell until I encountered the saints. And so I just like would tell people about a funny thing that happened to me in middle school, you know, and like all the time I was grabbing an audience and making everybody listen and it was never anything worth listening to, you know, and Jesus was like, eventually she's going to find a topic and she's going to be unstoppable. She's got the
1: craft, but not like, the topic. Right, I'll give exactly. her a topic. That's fantastic. We'll make As I've already said a couple of times, this book, I think, is just fantastic. I've read a lot of books on saints, a lot of books about saints. There's something special about this book, and it really appealed to me. So thank you for that. Friends who are listening, I cannot recommend it more highly. The book is Pray For Us. 75 Saints Who Sinned, Suffered, and Struggled On Their Way to Holiness. The author is Meg Hunter-Kilmer. The book is out from Ave Maria Press. Meg, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. This has been lovely.
1: And if you'd like to follow up with Meg, you can find her online at piercedhands.com. Thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners.
0: Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. The Golden Rule. When you schedule a financial checkup with Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our people will be helpful and honest and kind. They will look for ways to save you money. And when your checkup is complete, they will send $150 to Redeemer Radio. For more info, visit Notre slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.